0: Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Luke chapter 6 this morning. Luke chapter 6. As we are finishing up the sermon on the plain, as the gospel writer Luke has for us this morning. We're considering what it is to build your life on the rock. Look with me there at Luke 6, beginning at verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation." when the stream broke against it immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great let us pray Lord God this is your holy word we are so thankful that you are a God who speaks from the dawn of creation you were a God who spoke into the emptiness and with the power of your word The universe was created. Speak now, O God. And by the power of your word, your word, which is Christ, by the power of your word, create in us clean hearts. Cleanse our consciences. Continue to make us new creatures after your own likeness. Lord, help us to ground our lives upon the only sure foundation, which is Christ, our King. In his name we pray. Amen. No doubt many of you have been keeping up with the news coming out of Miami over these past several days. We know that on June 24th, Part of a 12-story residential building collapsed. And as of this morning, they have declared at least 24 people are dead and 121 still remain unaccounted for. Reports are continuing to come out that there were significant cracks and significant concrete damage in the foundation of that building that were due to be addressed. But they were evidently more serious than anyone could have possibly imagined. From this tragedy, brothers and sisters, we see again that anything that is set on a ruined foundation is due for destruction, collapse is imminent. This is true in earthly physical terms, but do you know that it's also true in terms of life and spirituality? What is the foundation of your life What have you established your life upon? What is the foundation of everything you have pursued and built and invested yourself in? Unfortunately, in the day and time in which we live, very few people put much thought into answering those types of questions. Some of you who hear my voice this morning, you may not know how you would answer those questions. Many people's foundation is just self-fulfillment and happiness, right? They say to themselves, I just want to live a good life and be happy and loved. And so they invest themselves in people and things that are personally fulfilling, whatever brings them joy, whatever allows them their greatest self-expression, whatever helps them to reach what they value most, that is what they found their lives upon. Many people's foundation is financial security and a comfortable life and a comfortable retirement. Through either education or business choices or career choices, they seek a place of financial ease and financial security. They want the successful job and the nice house in the suburbs and the place up on the lake and a cushy retirement when that time comes. Other people's foundation is geared to creating a legacy. They truly value the the joy of children and family. They work hard to provide a better life for them, and they want to serve the good of others by supporting family values and helping those in need and building a family name that will be respected long after they are gone. Besides these, you have a myriad of different philosophies and religions that directly direct you to a dizzying array of different foundations. You can go from hedonism to asceticism, from atheism to Hinduism, from conservatism to postmodernism to social activism. There's all number of things that people are seeking to establish their lives on. And don't get me wrong. Being faithful and caring for your family, being, be, having good and loving relationships, uh, leaving a, a godly legacy, and, 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 and supporting good conservative biblical values, those are all good things. But hear me, brothers and sisters, not even those good things are a sure foundation for life. Though there are many options, only one option is true. Only one foundation lasts forever, because only one rock can save you. This morning we come to Jesus' final admonition in this sermon, and he finishes by giving us a final warning regarding the foundation of our lives. As we look back at all of chapter 6, at the beatitudes, the woes of warning, the call to love your enemies, the call to judge righteously and to bear the fruit of righteousness, as we look back at all these things, we see that the standard of conduct and righteousness that Jesus sets before us here is truly out of our reach. It is beyond our ability. And yet Christ does not give us this revelation to further our hopelessness. He is the one preaching these truths. He is the one offering us life. And He Himself is the one way of salvation. He Himself is the one way that we are capable of embodying this kingdom ethic that He has so faithfully set before us. Therefore, Christ is to be the rock upon which our lives are built. So that is my message this morning. Prove yourselves to be wise disciples who hear the word and obey it, who set your foundation on the truth, because Jesus says to us, I am the truth. Do not be like foolish ones who hear his word and disregard it and build their lives on foundations that are doomed to destruction. So we're going to look at this text in just two points this morning, and we're going to talk first about the steadfastness of the wise man, the steadfastness of the wise man. Jesus begins at verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? It's a clear implication, right? How can you call Jesus Lord and yet not walk in obedience to him? But that's exactly what so many Jews that he was speaking to were doing. And so Christ uses a metaphor. He uses a metaphor to describe the person who responds rightly to everything he has taught and revealed. Much like today, in our society and culture a person's house is usually their biggest investment it is their most valuable asset for most families it was the same was true in Jesus's day a man's house was the center of family life and his most important possession. It's what sheltered his family. It's where his children were born. It's where he ate and fellowshiped with friends and loved ones. It's where his most valuable possessions were stored and protected. It's where he taught his children and loved his wife. It's where he rested and prepared to work, and it represented his family's status and success in the community. Given the importance of the home, it's only logical that every homeowner would want to make sure... That their greatest investment and the center of their family's life was rightly built on a sure foundation. Christ takes the reality of that physical existence and turns it into a metaphor for our spiritual lives. And in doing so, he reveals three things about the wise builder and three things about the foolish builder. And we're going to look at each of these. First, consider his character. Again, here in Luke 6, Luke does not record Jesus using the word wise to refer to the man, but in the parallel passage in Matthew, that is how he is referred to as as the wise man. He is wise because he hears and responds rightly to the word of Christ. Wise translates an adjective in the Greek that denotes someone who's prudent and sensible and discerning in practical matters. A wise person biblically is one who's able to judge correctly and follow the best course of action. A wise person is teachable, always knowing that there's more for them to learn and understand. Indeed, a wise person understands how much they don't know, right? A wise person listens far more than they speak. Proverbs 10:19, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And when a wise person does speak, out of their mouth comes instruction in what is right and good. Proverbs 37:30 30, The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. That is why scripture calls us to be. If we are a people of God, we are called to be wise. And more than that, we are called to understand that wisdom comes first and foremost from the Lord, right? We're to seek wisdom from Him because God Himself is the source of all wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6 and following. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. So that, brothers and sisters, is the character of the man here. He is wise Because he hears and responds rightly to the word of the Lord. And that is borne out in his activity. His character, then his activity. His activity bears out his character. Again, he hears the words of Christ and he gets to work. He hears and believes and his belief is borne out in righteous action. And we want to note here that his action consists of hard work. He is digging deep. He dug down deep to get through the shifting sands of temporal things to get down to the rock, right? And what is the rock? The rock in this metaphor is Christ's person. It is Jesus himself and his word. And so this wise man gets to work building his house, building his life on the rock. The foundation of his spiritual existence and hope is the person and word of Jesus Christ. This is what John was pointing to in his little epistle of 1 John chapter 2, beginning of verse 3, when he said, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is that rock. And the word that is used here for rock doesn't mean, you know, just the kind of rock you walk along in a path, you pick up, you throw it over in the pond. No, this, this denotes a, a boulder, a mass, a large outcropping of rock. Something that is solid and stable and immovable. Something that after decades and centuries and even millennia remains unmoved. Christ is that rock. He has told us that his word is that solid, unmovable foundation which will not pass away. Matthew 5.18, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until it all is accomplished. And this is what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. And so you see it, don't you, brothers and sisters? You see it. If we are truly wise, then wisdom is borne out by its deeds. If we are truly wise, we will build our lives. We will set the foundation of everything we are upon Christ and his word. We will walk in obedience to his commands. We will view God and ourselves and the world itself through the lens of scripture. We will be a people who pursue godliness, integrity, genuineness, humility, and have the courage to live openly and fervently for God's glory. Because if we try to build our lives on anything else, it all collapses. It's all gone. You know, many of you remember, you know, that my father was a custom cabinet maker, right? And as a, as a boy, you know, before my dad sold his business, I remember going along on installs with my dad many times. And sometimes some of his installs would be in new homes. You know, the, the, just be in the midst of construction. They were still, they had just gotten the drywall up. They were still looking to paint and do everything. And my dad and I are there installing cabinets. And, and, and I got to say, one of the few things, one of the few times I ever heard my dad cuss, sorry to say, was when he was trying to stall, install cabinets in a room that wasn't square, right? When the foundation wasn't square, when the walls were not square, nothing fit. Nothing could be placed in and established and and mounted in the right way if it wasn't square. You may be thinking that everything's square in your life. That you've set yourself on a foundation of your own making. That everything is plumb and everything is straight and the angles are all right. I want to assure you on the basis of God's Word, it's nothing but an optical illusion. I want to assure you on the basis of God's Word that apart from Jesus Christ, your life is completely out of plumb. Your life is on a shifting foundation that will not last. And this is indeed the problem with the world. The problem with the world is that we have billions of people building shaky lives on unsteady foundations instead of uh, of upon Christ and His gospel. But not the wise builder. Look at the second half of verse, verse, the verse in our text. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. That takes us to the outcome, right? The outcome of his character and his activity is that his life was preserved through this disastrous flood. Now, some commentators and pastors want to interpret the flood and the raging stream as the trials and tribulations that we just encounter as we make our way through life, right? Things like financial struggle and and a cancer diagnosis, disease and death and and relational challenges and difficulty in marriage or difficulty in parenting and, and other such trials and sufferings. And and don't hear me wrongly, I do believe that when our lives are founded upon the rock of Christ and his gospel, we will be able to persevere and withstand temptation in the midst of those earthly sufferings and challenges. But I do not think that's the right way to interpret this metaphor. In the gospels, Jesus always makes a clear distinction between those who will inherit eternal life versus those who will inherit eternal death. And so in fact... The final judgment at the end of the age is frequently what forms the backdrop to the metaphors that Jesus uses in the Gospels. To be consistent with the context here, we have to remember that the flood, going all the way back to Genesis, the use of the term flood is a consistent biblical metaphor for God's judgment. The flood is the final judgment of Christ. He will test each man's work when we appear before his judgment seat. This is what Revelation teaches us, right? Revelation 20, verses 11 through 12. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. For the wise man who listened to the words of Jesus and acted upon them by founding his life upon the rock, there is vindication from Christ himself. That man, the wise man, will hear Christ say on that final day of judgment, Well done, my good and faithful servant. He will receive the inheritance of being a co-heir with Christ. He will live in the splendor of heaven, in the very presence of God himself, all because his house was built upon and indeed by Christ. And therefore, his house withstood the test of judgment. That, brothers and sisters, is the outcome of faith and obedience. As we rest in, as we look to, as we depend upon Christ and all He has done, we build a life on a sure foundation so that no matter what comes against it, on Christ we stand strong. Compare that now to the foolish man. Look at verse 49 of our text. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Again, Luke here doesn't refer to the man as a foolish man, but in the parallel passages, that is definitely the word Jesus uses. A fool is someone who is dull or morally worthless or sluggish or stiff-necked. Biblically, the fool is someone who lives for themselves rather than living for God. And I want us to notice here that the foolishness of the fool is not due to ignorance, right? On the contrary, the fool is a man who has heard the truth. The fool had the same exposure to the truth of Christ as the wise man. The fool has been confronted with the very words of the Savior, but instead of acting upon them rightly as the wise man, the fool did nothing with them. He has heard the gospel and failed to act on what Jesus has said. And that is because the fool denies any reality that doesn't agree with his own definition of reality, right? That's what we do. We think, we we look at things, and we look at reason, and we look at our own intelligence, and we think this is the way the world has to be. And according to what we think, we make decisions in our lives that serve what we think is best. If we don't like the reality of, a, of the idea of a God who created us, of a God who will ultimately judge us, it's just easy enough to do away with that and continue life in our own way. Oh, friend, I would hear, have you hear the words of Scripture, though. Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Ultimately, the fool is not teachable or humble. He only values knowledge that advances his agenda and he considers everything else superfluous. The fool loves to speak of all that he knows. He asserts his opinions as fact and he will not admit wrong even when concrete evidence or biblical truth prove he is in error. As it says in Proverbs ten fourteen, wise men store up knowledge, but with the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Their pride and selfishness binds them to the consequences of their actions and to the hurt that they will ultimately bring upon themselves and others. The fool will vehemently defend the superiority of their own experience and choices, but their sinful desires will ultimately lead them down the road to idolatry and destruction. Again, this is the clear testimony of Scripture. Romans 1, 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That is the character of the fool. He has heard the truth, but he disregards it and chooses to serve self rather than Christ. And therefore, what is his activity? Well, he builds his house on the ground without foundation, shifting or unstable ground, like sand. He constructs that which is most precious upon a foundation that is utterly untrustworthy and undependable. A foundation that will ultimately spell his destruction. You know, again, being born and raised in Florida, one of the places we used to like to go all the time was New Smyrna Beach. New Smyrna Beach on the east coast of Florida is one of those beaches where you could still drive on the beach. And inevitably, you had people that, you know, weren't familiar with the tides and everything and, and the Florida sands that would drive down to the beach and, you know, the tide would be, you know, out and, and water would be a good 80, 100 yards from the shore. And they'd, you know, get their car out there and have a great old time and get out their chairs and have a blast and pretty soon the tide would start coming in and they wouldn't pay attention and inevitably me and my friends and i remember many times lisa and i we would have to come along and we'd have to be part of a group of about 10 or 12 people trying to help someone push their car you know back up into the 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 dry sands because the tides were rising we literally once saw a car get get flooded up to about two and a half feet ended up being totaled That's what the fool is destined for, brothers and sisters. One commentator has said, you know, the sand is composed of human opinions, attitudes, and wills which are always shifting and always unstable. To build on sand is to build on self-will, self-fulfillment, self-purpose, self-sufficiency, self-satisfaction, and self-righteousness. To build the house of one's life on the sand is to follow the ultimate deception of Satan, which is to make a person believe he is safe when he is not. Because that person is under the delusion that he is safe, he sees no reason either to resist Satan or to seek God. Paul warned Timothy of this, didn't he? In 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, Paul said, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And this is where I want us to to be careful to understand something, brothers and sisters. I want us to consider for a moment and understand that the houses of wise men and the houses of fools may outwardly appear to be very similar. Fools can appear to have very moral lives and be very good people by the world's standard. As we discussed even last week, some unbelievers can have for a time the appearance of bearing fruit. But ultimately, who they really are will come to light. And in the same way, ultimately, though both houses, though the house of the wise man and the house of the fool may look look the same on the outside, ultimately, the foundation will be revealed. You know, on June 1st, those two buildings in Miami looked exactly the same, standing strong. But on June 24th, one of those buildings came tumbling down. Ultimately, in our lives, our foundation will be revealed. And if we have built on a faulty foundation the consequences of that will come crashing down upon us. Titus one15 through 15-16, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And there is the outcome, brothers and sisters, right? character of the fool the activity of the fool the outcome of the fool when the stream broke against it immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great the fool faced the same judgment as the wise man the difference is where the wise man's life was tested and stood strong the fool's life was tested and fell apart it was swept away in the flood of christ's judgment and notice the last phrase of this verse here and the ruin of that house was great That that word great means exceedingly great or surpassingly large. It means that the house didn't just kind of creak and float away. It didn't mean it was just simply pulled off its foundation and maybe crashing on itself a little bit. No, it means that the house of the fool was decimated by the flood of judgment. All that he had built his life upon was literally obliterated, leaving him absolutely nothing. But brothers and sisters, understanding that reality of judgment leads us all the more to consider the glory of Christ, right? The beauty and the wonder of what Jesus has given us. Praise the Lord that he gives us Christ as our cornerstone. Listen to me. If you realize in these moments that you are someone who is built on a faulty foundation, I want you to understand the Bible. Jesus is not telling you, you know, just work harder to build a better foundation, The Bible is is not instructing you to say just be a better person. Put your life, ground your life on better things. The, The fact of the matter, what Scripture is trying to tell you, what Scripture is trying to get you to understand is it's not about what you do at all. If Christ does not build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. It's not about what you build. It's about what Christ builds in you, and for you. He does everything that is necessary, brothers and sisters. He has done it all. Jesus Christ has satisfied all of God's righteous commands for those who believe in him. Jesus Christ has built a righteous standing for all who trust in him. Jesus completes a good work in those who trust him for salvation. The message of the gospel is not you work harder. The message of the gospel is you trust Christ and see how he works in you and through you for his good pleasure. And as we are in him, our labor does matter. But even our labors are born out as labors of Christ in us. Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He goes on to say in verse 44, Matthew 21, 44, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but when the stone falls on anyone, it will crush him. There's the choice, brothers and sisters. Will you fall on the stone that is Christ and be broken? Will you be broken of self, broken of sin, and trust in Him alone for your salvation? Or will you hold off until the final judgment and be crushed and decimated and obliterated by the rock that is Christ. The warning is crystal clear. Your foundation means everything. What you choose to build your life upon will determine your eternal destiny. So build on Christ and His gospel. As the words of the song that we sang earlier said, how firm a foundation ye saints in the Lord is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. I would lead us back to the first verse where Jesus said of our text, where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It reminds us of Matthew 7. Where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophecy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It is not merely saying, Lord, Lord. That secures your foundation brothers and sisters it is trusting wholly in the Lord that secures your foundation Christ is the chief cornerstone Christ is that righteous and right foundation upon which our lives can be squarely built and so brothers and sisters love him love Christ The the Savior who stands before you is a Savior of beauty and comfort and grace, if you will, but acknowledge your sin and come unto him, all you who are weary and heavy laden. In him you will find rest for your souls. Come, come to Christ. Stop fluttering about with the offerings and the trappings of the world. Those things can never be your foundation. All of those things can be lost. But if you are Christ and Christ is yours, you can never be lost to him again. He will always be your foundation. Please, dear saint, make him the foundation of your life. Make him the foundation of your marriage. Make him the foundation of your parenting. Teach your children to love and obey Him. Teach your children to love and obey obey Christ and know what that means. And, And teach your children to love the church too. You know, the church is the body of Christ. This is the fellowship of the redeemed that we are meant to identify with until the Lord calls us home. Church isn't just some ancillary moral society where your child can receive good spiritual training. This is the family of God. Teach your children to love the body of Christ the way Christ loves his body. And then together, may we go forward trusting and obeying him, acting upon who he has made us and what he has called us to do. Indeed, as Christ leads the way, may we trust and obey. Let's bow our heads Father God, you are so good. You are so faithful to us. In you, oh Lord, we do rejoice. You have given us such clear teaching here, Father. Spare us from being a people who build our lives on faulty foundations, Lord. We must not seek financial stability and foundations as our first love. We must not seek relational stability Stability and love as our first love. We must not see any human philosophical foundation as a foundation of this life. Indeed, Lord, there is but one foundation, and it is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the cornerstone. He is the builder. He is the only one in whom we will be able to stand when the day of judgment comes. So may we trust in Lord. May we rest in Jesus Christ alone. For your glory and honor, we pray this, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.